of mine to be able to teach uh, this text, to teach this lesson to your people. And Father, I pray that you would please just uh, help us as we study your word. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Matthew chapter 12. If you remember last week, we dealt with the first 14 verses of Matthew 12. And we talked about uh, the, the Sabbath day is the subject of the first 14 uh, verses. But really, I will have mercy and not sacrifice as the subject of the first 14 verses. And the fact that we are to show mercy to people. But if you remember, we, we ended verse 14 with this... Well, we ended in verse 14 with, with kind of this idea. The Bible says... Matthew 12, 14, then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. And if you remember, I, I've mentioned this a couple times for you, but I, I want you to see it again because you'll see it a little bit as we go through in the text. Jesus, is, his ministry is shifting. He did have a very popular ministry. He had a very prosperous ministry. People were coming and seeing him. And, and that's still happening some. We'll see here in this text. But he's shifting because the Pharisees have pretty much decided they have rejected Christ, they want to put him to death, and, and they're done with him. If you look at verse 15, the Bible says, but when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself. So notice, they had a counsel against him, how they might destroy him. He found out about that, so he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them. Verse 16, and charged them that they should not make him known. Now, today there are people, there's a famous preacher named uh, John Hagee, and he preaches that Jesus did not come to be the Messiah. And he'll go to verses like this and say, see, he charged them that they should not make him known. And he'll say, see, Jesus didn't want anybody to know who he was, so he did not come to be the Messiah. And obviously that's a bunch of uh, baloney. You know, the Bible is very clear that Jesus Christ came to be the Messiah. Jesus declared himself the Messiah. You know, if you read the Bible in context, you say, well, why did he charge them that they should not make him known? Uh, I don't know, maybe because in verse 14, they just had a council to try to kill him. I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to plan how to kill him, so he's saying, hey, can you guys uh, not tell people where I'm at? Okay, I mean, does that make sense? Is that difficult to understand? Verse 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. And notice verse 19, and this is a prophecy of Jesus. He shall not strive, nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the street. So a prophecy of Jesus was that Jesus was not the guy that was out on the street corner arguing and striving and yelling at people and crying with people. They said, look, you wouldn't even hear his voice in the street. Now obviously people heard him. What that's talking about is the fact that he wasn't trying at this point. He's kind of shifted his ministry to a private mode where he's healing people and loving people and preaching to people, but he's not necessarily trying to just put himself out there. Verse 20, a bruised reef shall they not break and a smoking flax shall they not quench till he sent forth judgment unto victory. Verse 21, and his name, uh, and, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. And I'm trying to get to what I want to get to tonight, but I, I want to just give you these verses so, you know, we don't just want to skip through them. But today, you know, people often, another, another uh, doctrine that's taught today is the doctrines of dispensationalism. And they'll say that Jesus came only to preach the Gentiles. And they'll teach that, you know, it wasn't until Jesus on the week of Passover, when he came in on Palm Sunday, and he came into the city, and he declared himself, you know, they'll, they'll say that he uh, showed himself, and he gave himself as a, as a Messiah, and when the Israelites rejected him, then he went to the Gentiles. But see, even in Matthew chapter 12, and verse 21, the Bible says, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. So that doesn't hold any water because even in chapter 12, Jesus was preaching to the Gentiles and Jesus was going to the Gentiles. Okay, so I said all that to kind of get to where I wanted to get. And tonight I want to talk about something very specific that's found in this passage. And tonight, honestly, is going to be a very type of teachy and less maybe preachy type uh, message, which is fine. But uh, I want to talk about the subject of unpardonable sins. Because in Matthew chapter 12, we find a very famous passage. And I've been asked about this multiple times. I've been asked about it by church people. Some of you tonight may have asked me about it. I've also been asked about this a lot when I've been out soul winning and talking to people and giving the gospel to people. And in Matthew chapter 12, we find Jesus talking about blaspheming the Holy Ghost. And often that's referred to as the unpardonable sin. And I want to just spend some time and kind of explain this to you and make sure that we understand this before we move on from Matthew 12. Now keep your finger there in Matthew chapter 12 and go with me to Hebrews chapter number 9 towards the end of the New Testament. Testament, Hebrews chapter number 9, and look at verse number 27, and let me just kind of show you an example, not an example, but a concept that you need to understand. 
the un an unpardonable sin is there are sins in Scripture that are outlined for us that when somebody performs one of those sins, they cross a line to the point where that individual can no longer be saved. Now, oftentimes when you explain that to someone, especially Baptists, because we preach that Jesus Christ came to die for the, all mankind, and that's true, and that, you know, for God so loved the world, and that's true, and whosoever will may come, and all that is true. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But, you know, today you tell people that you can cross a line to the point where God will reject you and you'll no longer be uh, have the opportunity to be saved. And people will kind of say like, well, I can't believe that you could say that. But look, you got to understand, it's not that hard to understand if you realize that every unbeliever will cross that line at some point. Are you there in Hebrews chapter 9? Look at verse 27. Hebrews chapter number 9 and verse number 27, the Bible says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die. And notice this, but after this, the judgment. So according to Hebrews 9.27, look, every person who dies without receiving Christ as their Savior, without being saved, when they die, they cross the point of no return. There is no salvation after death. Once someone dies a physical death, they cannot be saved. There's nothing they can do. There's nothing they can say to get themselves saved. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So if you think about the fact that every unbeliever is going to get to the point when they die that they cross a line of no return, there's no way they can be saved, then it's not that hard to think about the fact that some people may get to that point and may cross that line even before their physical death. Go to Genesis chapter number 6. Genesis chapter number 6. In Genesis 6 and verse 3, we find God kind of getting frustrated and he's getting ready to bring the Noahic flood and bring destruction upon the entire world. In Genesis 6.3, the Bible says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. And you know, we need to understand this about, about God. God is, you know, often, and it makes good preaching, and, it, and it's true. God is the God of the second chance. And God is the God of the third chance. But you got to understand this. God is not the God of the, just the ultimate amount of chances. You get as many chances as you want with God. Right. And you need to understand that not only when it comes to salvation. Even once you're saved. You know, God has a plan for your life. And God has things that He wants you to do. But you don't always get another chance. Here in a few weeks, I want to preach a sermon about, uh, uh, you know... Missing out on your opportunity. And I've been studying this out in, in, in the book of Numbers where the children of Israel, remember, God brought them out of the land of Egypt. And God had for hundreds of years ordained for these people to go into the promised land. And He had ordained for these people. And remember, He sent them, and remember the, tw the 12, stripes came, uh, 12 spies went into the land. Ten brought back an evil report. Two brought back a good report. The people decided they didn't want to do it. And God said, you know what? That's fine. You're going to wander in the wilderness for the 40 years. He said, for the 40 days that you spent in the land and you chose not to go, for every day, I'm going to have you wander in the wilderness for 40 years till all of you are dead, and I'm going to send your children in. And do you remember the people, what they do? They repented. And they said, God, we're so sorry. We do want to go. We decided we want to go. And God said, you know what? It's done. You're done. And you know, I'm afraid that a lot of Christians are going to just spend their time living in the wilderness. And that doesn't mean you're not saved. But God has a plan for you. And if you don't take, you know, He's not the God of the third and fourth and fifth and seventh chance. You may want to wake up and realize that God, He said, My spirit shall not always strive with men. The word strive means to work with. He said, I will work with you. But there comes a point where I'll stop working with you. He says, My spirit shall not always strive with men. And, and, and of course, he meant that in a very real way when he sent the Noahic flood. But go, to, go back to Matthew chapter 12 and look at verse 22. And like I said, tonight will be very much teaching. So just uh, pretend like you're in Bible college and take some notes. And uh, make sure you give me your tuition check on the way out. And uh, that'll be good. You'll, you'll learn more at church than you will at any Bible college. I promise you that. Matthew chapter 12. At least this church. Matthew chapter 12. Look at verse 22. Matthew chapter 12 verse 22. The Bible says, Then was brought unto him one possessed of a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. So I want you to see uh, the fact, and I'm going to give you a list of a few of these 
unpardonable sins. And I don't know if really that's a good phrase, or I don't know if that's a Catholic phrase, but it's just something that's well known, alright? Blaspheming of the Holy Ghost. You need to understand the context of what's going on here. There's a man possessed of a devil, he's demon possessed, and Jesus healed him. The blind and dumb both spake and saw. Verse 23, And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? Now notice verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Now I don't have time to develop this. If you want to write this down, you can study this out on your own. But Beelzebub, that's another name for Satan. And if you remember in the Old Testament, you had all these gods like Balaam or Baal. They all come from the same words of B-L or Beelzebub. It's just another name for Satan. It's not just any false god. It's literally devil, satanic worship. Now, Jesus heals a man that is possessed with the devil. And the Pharisees, out of jealousy, they said, he's not casting out. Uh, devils uh, by the power of God, he's casting out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Now keep your finger in Matthew 12. This is our, our text for tonight. But go to Mark chapter number 3. You're there in Matthew. The very next book is Mark chapter number 3. And look at verse number 22. Mark 3 is a parallel passage with Matthew 12. That means it's the same story, it's just a different text, gives us a different angle of the same story. And I want you to keep your finger or your bulletin or something in Mark 3, because we're going to be going back and forth a little bit. The Bible says in Mark 3.22, notice, And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He, this is the key word, okay, half. You see the word half there? Because in Matthew they said, he cast out devils by Beelzebub. But in Mark 3.22 it says, he hath Beelzebub. So they're not just saying that he's doing it by Beelzebub. They're saying he has Beelzebub. Like Beelzebub is inside of Jesus Christ. Here's what they're saying. Satan is inside of Jesus Christ. He hath Beelzebub. And by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. Now keep your, keep your finger there in Mark 3. Go back to Matthew 12 and notice... Notice Jesus' response to this, okay? And I kind of want to just give you the context so you understand this. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 25, the Bible says this, And Jesus knew their thoughts. That's pretty interesting there. He doesn't just know what they're saying, He knows what they're thinking. And the Bible says, And Jesus knew their thoughts and said, Now notice what He says, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan. So you notice how they said, you got Beelzebub, you got Beelzebub. But then Jesus explains for us what they mean by Beelzebub. Because he says, look, if Satan casts out Satan. So do you see how the Bible is its own commentary? The Bible explains for us what it means. You say, well, how do you know it's Beelzebub? Well, Jesus himself told us, well, you're saying that, you're saying that I have Beelzebub. You're saying that I'm, that I'm Satan. But he says, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall the kingdom stand? Here's what Jesus is explaining to them, okay? Satan's agenda is to have people be oppressed and in bondage. Satan wants people to be oppressed by devils. And he says, look, if Satan is casting out himself, he's being counterproductive. Because why would he cast out a devil? He wants people to be demon-possessed. He wants people to be oppressed and in bondage. He says, look, how shall then this kingdom stand? Look at verse 27. And if Beelzebub cast out devils, whom do your children cast them out? See, this is another interesting thing. And I, I don't have time to develop this, but you, you got two ideas here, okay? Either Jesus is not the only person casting out devils, which is probably true. There are other people casting out devils. And Jesus says, well, look, if, if I cast out devils by Beelzebub, by whom do your children cast them out? Either that, or this may be alluding to the fact, and again, this is totally my opinion, it's not scripture, I'm just kind of giving you a few things to think about. We learned earlier in Matthew that Jesus gave his disciples the power to cast out devils. And it may be that some of his disciples were maybe the children, the physical children of some of these Pharisees that I want to put to death. And he's saying to them, you know, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. So, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if, if, if I'm Beelzebub, if I've got Satan, he says that I'm being counterproductive by Cat because Satan wants people in bondage. Satan wants, he said, a kingdom divided against itself shall not stand. He says, this, this doesn't make any sense. Now, look at verse 28. He says, but if, now that if, that's a big if. He says, but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, he said, here's what, here's, here's what you're not thinking about. 
He says, if what I'm doing is by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? Now here's what's interesting, and, and, and I just want to give you, I'm, I'm trying to give you a few thoughts as we're going through this, and, and I'm trying to get to some other material. But often, not often, I shouldn't say often, but a few times I've been asked, you know, about, uh, you know, people that are demon-possessed. And look, you got to understand this. There are people today that are demon-possessed. Okay, there are people today that have devils inside them. And I've often been asked, you know, like, would you cast out a devil, you know? Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. I don't know. You know, call, call the Catholics, you know, let them take care of that. But, um... You know, I don't believe that today we have power like the apostles to do that. Look, I'm not Peter, I'm not James, I'm not John, okay? I'm not Paul, I'm not going to smack... I mean, I'll slap people upside their head if they really want me to, but I don't really think that that's going to, you know, make somebody get a devil taken out of them. Okay, but here's what's interesting. It seems like this is what Jesus is teaching. Because notice, notice what he says. Look at verse, uh, verse 28 again. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, you see that? Then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Or else, now in verse 29 is in context of verse 28. So I believe Jesus is explaining to us the process by which they cast out devils. He says, or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, then he will spoil his house. So I believe that Jesus is teaching here, and you may disagree with me, and that's fine. Uh, I'm not mad at you. But I believe that what Jesus is telling us here, it seems as if the method of casting out devils used by Jesus was this. The Holy Spirit would go in and run the unclean spirit out. Because he says, look, I do it by the power, by the Spirit of God. And he says, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man? So he says, look, these people were possessed by a demon, which was a strong man. And he said, first we got to bind that strong man so that we can go in and clean it up. So it's that, it seems to me like the, what Jesus was doing when he would cast out a demon, when he would cast out a devil, is that the Holy Spirit would come in and bully that unclean spirit out of that person, and that's how they would heal him. So... All that to say this, today, you know, what should we do? If there's somebody who's demon-possessed, devil-possessed, what should we do to try to cast that person out? Should we get holy water? Should we get some crosses? Should we do some chants? You know, what should we do? Here's, here's all I believe we can do. We should do everything in our power to get that individual saved. Because if we can get the Holy Spirit in, then we can get the unclean spirit out. Because how can you enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except you first find a strong man? So we need a stronger spirit than the unclean spirit. And if he does, does it by the spirit of God, so you say, you know, as your man is, I am my, you know, my husband is demon possessed. Can you come heal him? You know, well, let's get them saved because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, so I, I kind of think that's what Jesus Christ is teaching there. Look at verse 30. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. That's a good uh, soul winning verse for those of you that don't like to show up for soul winning. Say, well, I'm not hurting anything if I don't go. Well, he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. And he that is not with me is against me. So, you know, when you're sitting on the sidelines doing nothing, you're actually against the cause of Christ. Anyway, look at verse 31. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Here's the verse I wanted to get to. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Now look, that's black and white. That's there. He says, if you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, uh, it shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. Now the Son of Man is Jesus Christ. That's a phrase that he would often use to refer to himself. He says, whosoever speaketh against a, a word against the Son of Man. He says, look, if you speak against me, Jesus, it shall be forgiven me. And whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Now notice this, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. He says, I, you're, if you speak against the Holy Spirit, if you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, I, it won't be forgiven in this life, it won't be forgiven in the next life. Go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 makes it even clearer. Mark chapter 3 verse 20. Now look, you, we, can't, we, we have to get away from the Christianity that shies away from these verses that we think, oh, this is going to mess up our little Baptist you know, party that we're having here. 
Okay, if the Bible says it, then it's true. And here it's very clear that he says, look, you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, you shall not be forgiven. That's a sin that will not be forgiven unto men. He said, it won't be forgiven in this world or in the world to come. Mark chapter 3, verse 28. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost hath some, at some point they'll have forgiveness? Is that what it says? No. Have never forgiveness. But is in danger of eternal damnation. Now there's a lot of controversy about what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Ghost. And um, I was talking to Pastor Anderson uh, earlier today and he was uh, explaining to me how the Pentecostals, you know, uh, they, they get mad at us, the Baptists, for calling their tongue-speaking, you know, demon possession. And they, they accuse us of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. And, you know, and we accuse them of just being demon-possessed, you know. I mean, all sorts of craziness there. And, uh, and, you know, so what does it mean? You know, what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Ghost? And, and here's what it comes down to. Mark chapter 3, verse 30, gives us the definition of what it means when they blaspheme the Holy Ghost. What did they mean? Mark 3, verse 30, look what it says. Because they said... He had an unclean spirit. What's the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost? Here's the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Jesus did a work through the Holy Spirit of God. And they said, He doesn't have the Spirit of God. He has an unclean spirit. He doesn't have the Spirit of God. He has Satan inside of him. He has Beelzebub inside of him. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Now, I'll be honest with you, because I get these phone calls a lot, and people say, I've had people call me, and I try to be kind, and I'm really, I'm not even, I'm not making a joke right now, I've had people call me, and they'll say, you know, am I even saying, you know, maybe I think I might have accidentally blasphemed the Holy Ghost, you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't even know that someone could blaspheme the Holy Ghost today. I mean, you, you, you may be able to, I'm not saying you can't. But here's what happened, because today people say, you know, if you say blankety-blank the Holy Ghost, you know, you blaspheme the Holy Ghost. Well, look, the context of the scripture is this. Jesus healed a demon-possessed person, and they said, you didn't do that by the Spirit of God. You did that because you're demon-possessed. And he said, you just crossed the line. And he said, you just blaspheme the Holy Ghost. And he said, that's not going to get forgiven in this life or in the life to come, in this world or in the world to come. He said, that had never forgiveness. Now, could somebody theoretically today look at the work of Christ and say, that was not of God, that was a devil, and that be a blasphemy of the Holy Ghost? You know, I, I don't know. I'm not saying you can or you can't. I'm just saying that's what the Bible teaches. But you've got to understand this. There are times when an individual can cross a line and God says, you know what, that's it. You get no more chances. And, and the Bible is very clear, and Jesus was done with these Pharisees because they had blessed. Let me give you another example of other unpardonable sins. Go to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Let me show you just uh, a couple more examples, and, and I'll give you a few more thoughts, and, and we'll be done. Matthew 22. Don't, you know, I'm not preaching 20 minutes tonight, okay? That was Sunday night. That happens once a year. Matthew, uh, Revelation 22, look at verse 18. Revelation 22, verse 18. Let me give you another example of when someone can cross the line. Revelation 22, verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy, of the prophecy of this book. Now notice here. He's talking about the word of God. He says, Revelation 22, 18. I want you to see it. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If you don't know what that means, you got to spend some time reading the book of Revelation. Because there are some nasty plagues in the book of Revelation. And literally, here's what the book of Revelation is. When God begins to pour out His wrath on earth, He's literally just opening up hell and taking all the nasty stuff out of hell and dumping it on people. So He's talking about, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, if you add unto these things. Talk about His word. He says, if somebody adds to my Bible... He said, I'm going to add to you all the horrible plagues in hell. Now look at verse 19. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written therein. Now we know... The Bible says that your name has to be written in. The Bible says, for death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So if your name is not found in the book of life, guess where you're going? 
going to hell. Guess where you're going? To the lake of fire. And here, the Bible tells us that somebody that tampers with the Word of God, somebody that adds to it, somebody that removes from it, God says, I am taking your part out of the book of life. Here's what He's saying. The place in the book of life where your name would have gone, I'm going to remove that. Your name will never be in that book. And He says, I'm going to send you to hell. You crossed a line by messing with my book. Now, I don't have time to preach on the King James Bible tonight. It's a, a, a you know, it's, it's not what I want to preach about tonight. If you don't understand that Today, there are people, and I'm not against you. If you're here, you think, I don't know what you're talking about. You gotta understand, today there is an attack on God's Word. People are corrupting the Word of God. At Verity Baptist Church, we take a set on the King James Bible. We believe it is inspired. We believe it is preserved. And we believe that we can prove it. I don't have time to preach that sermon. If you're, literally, if you're here tonight and you're thinking to myself, I don't have any clue what you're talking about, Pastor Menace, I've got a DVD for you, okay? I really do. And it's free. And I want you to watch it, because I don't have time to develop it right now. But you need to understand this. God has mandated and God has commanded His book that anybody who tampers with His Word is going to die and go to hell. So listen to me. Everyone, you take an NIV, you take a New King James, you take an English Standard Version, you take any of these modern Bible translations, you open it up to the front, and you look at those names of the people that revised the Scriptures to bring us those Bibles, and I'm here to tell you, every person on that list is going to die and go to hell. They've crossed a line. Their name is taken, the, the, the part where their name would have gone in the Book of Life is removed, and God says, I'm to send them to hell. That's how important this Bible issue is to God. Right. To the point where you would say, if you mess, I mean, read it again. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, I mean, we can go through and show you verse after verse after verse after verse that is removed from the word of God. And God God shall take away his part of the book of life. I mean, does it sound like God think it's serious to mess with his Bible? And you know, sometimes people will ask me, like, Pastor Menes, I know you guys are King James only, but, you know, do you think it's wrong to listen to other preachers that preach out of, you know, different versions of the Bible? Hey, look, God is going to send those people to hell for writing those versions of the Bible. You think God wants you to listen to preaching coming out of those books? God is going to send people to hell because they wrote those books. You think God wants you reading those books? It's a serious issue. God says, when you tamper with my word, you've crossed a line. And he said, I'm going to remove. I mean, it's black and white. You can't get away from it. He said, I'm going to remove your part out of the book of life. Go to Revelation chapter 14. Let me show you one more. Another thing that will cause you to cross the line with God. Revelation 14, look at verse 9. So we talked about, you know, what, what are the unpardonable sins? Number one, blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Number two, tampering with God's word. Number three, taking the mark of the beast. Now this isn't something that's available for us today, because we're not going through the tribulation time. But one day there's coming an antichrist, who the Bible calls the beast, and he has a mark of the beast, which is 666. And the Bible teaches that anyone who takes the mark of the beast will have crossed the line and will die and go to hell, and they will never have a chance to be saved. Are you there in Revelation 14? Look at verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark, that's the mark of the beast, in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they shall not rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. I mean, is that clear? He says, if you take the mark of the beast... He said, you are going to suffer the wrath of God. You're going to drink of the wine. You will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. He says, if you take a mark of the beast during the time of tribulation, he said, you will cross the line and you will no longer be able to be saved. So here's what I'm trying to explain to you. There are sins that the Bible teaches that if you cross that line, God says, that's the point of no return. Now look, every unbeliever, everyone who does not believe in Jesus Christ, when they die, they will have crossed that line. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this a judgment. But some people cross that line before they even die. Just by taking the mark of the beast one day. 
By tampering with God's word and bringing perversions of God's word. By blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Now I want you to understand a few things. Okay, go, go, go to John chapter number 10. John chapter number 10, look at verse 28. John chapter 10. And put your bulletin or, or bookmark or something in John 10. Because we're going to be, we're going to leave John and we're going to come back to John. And I want you to be able to find it quickly. Uh, so, so, I can, so I can give you a few things to think about. John, John 10. When someone performs one of these sins, there is no more chance for them to be saved. Period. But I need you to understand something. These people were not believers. These people were not saved. These people that blasphemed the Holy Ghost were not Christians. Here's what we're not teaching. We're not saying that someone who's saved will perform a sin and then lose their salvation. No one can lose their salvation. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Nothing will ever change that. Is that prove it. Go to John chapter 10, look at verse 28. And I can spend a whole sermon on this. I've spent whole sermons on this. I'm just going to give you one verse to look at. John 10, or two verses. John 10, 28, look what it says. And I give unto them, this is Jesus speaking, and I give unto them eternal life. Now the word eternal means it will last forever. It means it will never end. This is life that will last forever, life that will never end. So according to Jesus, I give unto them eternal life. When is this life going to end? Never. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Remember John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says these people will never perish. So when you have eternal life, are you ever in danger of perishing according to Jesus Christ? No. It says you'll never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Can any man pluck you out of the hand of Jesus Christ? Now today people like to say this. They'll say like, well no one can pluck you out of the hands of Jesus Christ. But you can walk away from Jesus Christ. Like they'll say like, you're saved through Jesus. But if you choose to walk away. If you choose to stop believing. If you choose to go, you know, a different way. Then, 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 then you're going to lose your salvation. But here's the thing. When the Bible says, neither shall any man pluck them out of my father's hand. Are you included in that any man? Or are you special? And you're just not, you know, any man except me. No, you're one of those any man. So can you make yourself be plucked out of the hands of Jesus? No, you can't. Look at verse 29, just to make it more clear. He says, my father, which gave them me, is greater than all. I love this. This is Jesus, you know, saying, my daddy is stronger than your dad. He said, my father, which gave them me, is greater than all. Now notice this. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. And these people that say, well, I just think, And you're not struggling. Look what he says. No man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Go to, uh, well, let me show you, show you another, another verse there. I, should, I have the verse in my notes here. But let me just keep reading. John 10, verse 30. I and my father are one. So he says, look, when, when, when I have you in my hand, he said, it's like my father has you in, the, in his hand. He's like, because me and my father are the same person. And he says, I am my father one. And here's what he's saying. He said, you know, when you got saved, you were given eternal life. You were, you, you, you were made so you'll never perish. You were put in the hands of Jesus. God put his hands over that hand. And he said, no one is able to take you out. Okay, so I want to make this very clear. Once someone is saved, they cannot lose their salvation. We are not saying, I am not saying that someone was saved and then they performed one of these sins and they lost their salvation. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. These people are not saved people who lost their salvation. These people were never saved. These people are unbelievers. They're not saved. And all that happened is they lost their opportunity to be saved. Do you understand that? They were not saved... But they could have been saved, because anyone can be saved. But when they cross that line, God says, now you don't have the opportunity to be saved. Now I'm going to remove out of the book of life the part that your name would have been in there. So that your name can't be in there. These people were not saved. Now let me prove it to you. Go back to Matthew chapter 12. Look at verse 14. 
in the example of those who blasphemed the Holy Ghost. The people that were blaspheming the Holy Ghost, here's what they were doing right before they blasphemed the Holy Ghost. Matthew 12, verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. You think those people were Christians if they're having a meeting of how they can kill Jesus Christ? These people are not saved. They're not believers. They've already rejected Jesus Christ. Go to John. John chapter 12. Remember I told you to keep your place in John 10? Go to John 12. Okay, just a couple pages over. John 12. Notice what Jesus... And we're going to get more into this in Matthew 13. It, it'll become crystal clear, but let me just give you a little bit to, to consider. John chapter number 12. Look at verse number 37. John 12, 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Okay, so did these people believe? Are these people saying, no, he did so many miracles, but they believed not on him? Why? Verse 38, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which is fake. Lord, who hath believed our report, and who hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39, therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, notice what it says, he hath blinded their eyes, and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, and be converted, and I should heal them. You understand what he just said? He said, I hardened their hearts. He said, I blinded their eyes. Because I don't want them to be able to see the truth. I don't want them to be able to hear the truth. Because I do not want them to get converted. And I do not want to heal them. Do you understand this is Jesus? Well, I thought Jesus just loved everyone. For any reason. All the time. That's not the Jesus of the Bible, my friend. The, Bible, the Jesus of the Bible says these people crossed the line to where Jesus says, I no longer want them to be saved. And by the way, that's why Jesus began to preach in parables. Today people think, oh, Jesus taught in these parables because he was such a great speaker, and he was. And because he was so smart, and he was. But he, he gave us these illustrations because they were such a great analogy of spiritual things, and they were. But understand this, that's not the reason he began to speak in parables. Do you want to know why Jesus began to speak in parables? Because he did not want the Pharisees to understand what he was saying. Because they crossed the line, they blasphemed the Holy Ghost, he said, I'm done with you, he said, you've crossed the line, you cannot be saved, and I'm going to speak in parables, so you cannot understand, because I don't want you to be converted, and I don't want you to be healed. That's the God of the Bible. And that's not the God that's being taught today. Let me give you, and here's what I'm trying to explain to you. The people that blasphemed the Holy Ghost were not saved. Okay, how about the people that, that, that tampered with God's Word? Are they saved? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm making up for Sunday night. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 13. First, no, we're, we're doing good. I, look, I got, I got at least 12 minutes. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 13. 1 Corinthians 2, 13. 1 Corinthians 2, 13. The Bible says this, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. By the way, this is how you ought to study the Bible. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Here's what, here's what this passage is teaching. The natural man, the normal, unregenerated man cannot understand spiritual things. If I take an unbeliever, and I give them a Bible, and I said, start reading it, they will read it and never understand it. They cannot understand I've had so many people say to me, I used to try to read the Bible and I couldn't understand it. I used to try to read the Bible and I couldn't understand it. I used to try to read, and I just didn't make sense. And then one day, it just made sense. I started reading it, and I was like, wow, and I started seeing things. And it's like, what happened? Here's what happened. They got saved. Because the natural man does not understand spiritual things. But when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, He will guide you and He will teach you. So here's the point. You all know the people that are messing with God's Word. Here's the people that are messing with God's Word. They say, I can't understand this. This doesn't make any sense. So let's change it. Let's just remove all these verses that don't make sense. Let's make it so that it makes sense to us with our mind. And, and they say, it doesn't make any sense. So here's the thing. No one who's saved would mess with God's Word. Because when you're saved, that makes sense to you. When you're saved, you read it and you're like, yeah, it's God's Word. But unsaved people don't understand. So when these guys show up and they're theologians and they got all these doctorate degrees and they got all these Bible college degrees and they say, well, this doesn't make any sense. We ought to make it so that people can understand it. And they start messing with God's Word. Those people 
now you can never be saved. He said, he said, I will remove your place from the holy city. He said, I'm going to remove your place from the book of life. But you got to understand this. People that tamper with God's word are not saved to begin with. Because if you're saved, you're not going to mess with God's word. Go to, uh, and keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 2. I know you got your finger in a lot of different places, but just do it, and, and, and we'll be done soon. Go to Revelation 13. Revelation 13. I know I said that twice already, but that's okay. Revelation 13. Look at verse 8. Revelation 13. The mark of the beast. Remember we saw, we, we said that people who take the mark of the beast will lose their opportunity to be saved. But here's what you understand. People who take the mark of the beast are not saved. Revelation 13.8. Look what it says. Revelation 13.8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The him that they're worshiping is the beast. So, look, it says, all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life. So the people whose names are written in the book of life, are they worshiping the beast? No. Who's worshiping the beast? Those whose names are not written in the book of life. So who's worshiping the beast? People that aren't saved. I'm trying to prove to you, the only people that can perform an unpardonable sin are people that aren't saved to begin with. A Christian... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. But people that aren't saved are the only people eligible to perform an unpardonable sin. Go to Revelation 17. Let me show you another example. Revelation 17. Look at verse 8. Revelation 17, 8. Revelation 17.8 says, The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition that they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names, look what it says, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. So the people that are just with the beast, are they people whose names are written in the book of life? They're not. Their names are not written in the book of life, which means they're not saved. Here's what I'm trying to, here's what I'm trying to explain to you, okay? You can, there are sins in the Bible where you can cross a line, and God says, when you cross this line, you no longer have the opportunity to be saved. We're not saying that Christians can cross a line to lose their salvation. These are unsaved people. They're not saved. They're not believers. And they cross a line to the point where they lose their opportunity to be saved. Now, here's the thing. These sins are sins that a believer would not commit. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Did you keep your finger there? We're going to go to 1 Corinthians, we're going to go to John 10, we're going to go to Matthew, and then we'll be done. Alright, so those should all be places you have your finger in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. i got to wait for those of you that didn't keep your finger there, that's okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 3. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Wherefore I give unto you... Uh, I'm sorry. Wherefore I give you to understand, okay, that no man speaking by the Spirit of God... So is this guy saved? He's got the Spirit of God, so that means they're saved, right? No man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse. And that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Okay, so the only person that can say that Jesus is Lord is someone that has the Holy Ghost. And someone that has the Holy Ghost would not call Jesus a curse. The word a curse means to call him damned. So here's the thing, okay? Wouldn't it not be reasonable to say, if someone has the Holy Spirit... I mean, this verse, here's what this verse is saying. No man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse. So someone that has the Spirit of God, can they call Jesus a curse? No, they can't. So wouldn't it be reasonable, and I'm, and I'm using that word because I don't have a verse to just tell you that someone who's saved will not blaspheme the Holy Spirit, but wouldn't it be reasonable to say, if someone who has the Holy Spirit would not call Jesus a curse, wouldn't someone who has the Holy Spirit also not blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because he says, no man speaketh by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus a curse. He says, if you've got the Spirit of God, you're not going to call Jesus a curse. So if you're not going to call Jesus a curse, which is one of the, of the three in the Trinity, why would you blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Someone who's saved is not going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And if someone does blaspheme the Holy Spirit today, it just shows us that they were not saved. They're never saved. And they can't be saved. Go to John chapter 10. How about the people that tamper with God's word? John chapter 10, look at verse 3. John chapter 10, verse 3. John chapter 10, verse 3. And this might hurt some of your feelings, but you should be used to it by now. John chapter 10, look at verse 3. To him the porter openeth, this is Jesus speaking, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them not. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, 
And the sheep follow him. Okay, Jesus is the great shepherd. If you look at the context, he just got done saying, and I don't have time to develop it, he just got done saying, I am the shepherd. I am the great shepherd, okay? He said, the sheep follow him. Notice what it says. For they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow. Okay, so Jesus just taught us. Someone who is a sheep, which is a believer, and they're following the shepherd, Jesus Christ, are they going to know the voice of Jesus Christ? Yes. Are they going to follow the voice of a stranger? No, they won't. Look at verse 5 again. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. Skip down to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. When someone says they have a Holy Spirit in dwelling, and that immediately brings a connection with the voice or the Word of God, you know, sometimes people say to me like, so-and-so is drinking, so-and-so is living in sin, so-and-so is doing this and doing that. Do you think they're even saved? And I'm like, of course they're saved. I mean, if they said they're saved, if they believe in Jesus Christ, why would they not be saved? Salvation is not based by our works. Salvation is not dependent on what we do. Was Moses saved? He killed a man. Was David saved? Jesus was sent on the throne of David, and he committed adultery, and he killed a man. So people say to me, like, you know, was Noah saved? The Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he was a drunkard. Okay, so people often say to me, like, so-and-so is drinking, so-and-so is fornicating, which obviously these are horrible sins, and we should kick people out of church for fornicating and being a drunkard, and I get all that. But, you know, so-and-so is doing this, and so, do you think they're even saved? And I'm like, why would they not be saved? But you know when I question people's salvation? Man, I almost fell. You know when I question people's salvation? When someone says to me, like, so-and-so is saved. But now they're just going to this, like, neo-charismatic, contemporary church where they're preaching out of the NIV. Or they're preaching out of the English Standard. Or they're preaching out of the New American Standard. I'm like, whoa, are they even saved? You say, well, how, why would you say that? Well, because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow him. And a stranger will they not follow. See... You not being able to hear, you being able to hear the King James Bible is more proof of your salvation. And you saying, ah, I'd rather listen to the NIV, is more proof that you're not saved than drinking alcohol. Than living in sin. Because there is a connection to the Word of God that comes through the Holy Spirit when you get saved. So here's the point that I'm trying to make. Someone who's saved is not going to corrupt God's Word. Because they have the Holy Spirit. They can hear the voice. They can, look, I hear, I, I, you know, I go places and I hear the NIV read and I'm like, that sounds like foolishness. That sounds like, do you can just, you, you know, you know how you know, sometimes people read something to you, and you can just tell that's not the King James Bible. You're like, that just sounds like garbage. Amen. That just sounds dumb. It just sounds, you know, because here's the thing. Because the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. And a stranger, will they not follow? And they're not going to hear, you know, it's like, you're not reading out of the Bible. You know, people say like, oh, what do you think about this verse? And I'm like, that didn't come from the King James Bible. And it's like, oh man, you're right. How do you know that? You have the whole Bible memorized? No, I just know the voice of the shepherd. And that, that shows more of your salvation than anything else. So, so is a Christian going to tamper with God's word? No. So if someone tampers with God's word, that just tells us that they're not even saved. Because they can't even hear the shepherd. Okay, go to Matthew 24, verse 24. We're done. Matthew 24. It's 8.13. I got two minutes to finish this, and, and I'm, I'm on time. Matthew 24, verse 24. Okay? What about taking the mark of the beast? Can a Christian take the mark of the beast? Matthew 24, verse 24. Matthew 24, verse 24. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible. Now, is it possible? No. But the Antichrist is going to be so good that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect, the elect or the saved. So he says, look, the signs of the false Christ are so good that if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. But I've got news for you. It's not possible to deceive the very elect. So when the Antichrist shows up, no Christian will take the mark of the beast. Because it's not possible to deceive. God will make sure that no Christian is deceived by the Antichrist. He says it's not possible. So here's the thing. If you take the mark of the beast, it just proves that, number one, you weren't safe to begin with. And number two... Now you've lost your opportunity to be saved. Here's the point I'm trying to make. There is a point where you can cross a line with God. Remember, my spirit shall not always strive with man. But if anybody crosses that line, all that shows is that they were not saved to begin with. Because 
once somebody saves, they're always saved. You can never lose it. And what happened was, is that individual that was not saved, they lost not their salvation, but their opportunity to be saved. And it's not that strange when you think that every unbeliever will lose their opportunity to be saved when they die. But some people just cross the line even before that, and even before they die physically, they die. You know, God just says, you've lost your opportunity. Now, now, and I do want to say this, and no one here has ever asked me this, but I want to say this for those that listen online. Because I do get a lot of calls like this. I get people calling me saying, Pastor Jimenez, I've done this in my past. Do you think that I'm a reprobate? Okay, the fact that you can even articulate that thought shows that you're not a reprobate. You, you think, I, I believe in Jesus Christ, but do you think I'm saved? The fact that you even have that concern shows that you're not a reverend. Because these people did not want to believe on Jesus. They wanted to kill Him. The people that take the mark of the beast, they're not like, am I saved? They don't care. When someone crosses that line, God blinds them. They can't hear it. They can't see it. They can't understand it. They're not trying to get saved. They don't even care. They want to worship the beast. They want to tamper with God's Word. Okay, so just, you know, because I get a lot of these calls and I just want to make it clear to people. The fact that you can even think those thoughts shows that, look, you're okay. <laughs> just make sure you get saved. And uh, let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. And what I know today was not really a, a preaching type, encouraging sermon, but sometimes we just need to understand these doctrinal truths. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand them, to grasp them. Lord, help us to study, to show ourselves approved. Lord, help us to, 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 to understand what the Bible says so that we can have an answer uh, for the hope that is in us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to be motivated to realize that people don't just have a hundred chances to get saved. There are people that may get saved today that may lose their opportunity to be saved tomorrow. And it's our job to go out there and try to get as many people saved while there's still hope. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to motiv- get motivated to get out there and, and preach the gospel to people. This is the most important thing we could do with our life. There is nothing more important that I could do with my life than to present the gospel to a sinner so that they might receive you as Savior and their eternity would be secured in the hands of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Lord, I pray you help us to get motivated. Help us to, to realize what the Bible teaches. Every, every believer, when they die, will cross the line of no return. But some people may even cross that line sooner than that. And help us to have compassion on those people. Help us to go get those people saved, Lord, so that they don't ever have that opportunity to blaspheme or to tamper with God's Word or to one day take the mark of the beast. And we know there's more that the Bible talks about rejecting and the reprobates, Lord, and I pray that you'd help us. We love you in your precious name, I pray. Amen.